Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I hope you enjoyed those three passages of Scripture that were just read to you by your brothers. That man that Jesus was talking to understood that God valued love above all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The greatest gift that you can ever give to God is to love your brothers. Outward form of attending in an assembly, sitting in a church, singing hymns, is not nearly, is nothing in comparison to loving someone else. Crucifying your selfishness, humbling your pride, and serving another person. Forgiving them when they've wronged you. Forgiving them when they've wronged you again. Forgiving them when they've offended you. Forgiving them when they've disappointed you. Forbearing and putting up with them, irritating you. That's true love. And that's what the Bible teaches us is most important. We come to 1 Corinthians 13. You were to read it last evening in preparation for today. But I want to remind you of how powerful it is. In verse 28, the Apostle Paul begins to list the spiritual gifts. And he starts with apostles, the highest gift in the church, and runs all the way down to the least gift of speaking in tongues in verse 28. In verses 29 and 30, he asks the question, Is everyone an apostle? Are all teachers? Does everyone speak in tongues? And the conclusion is, even to these Corinthians who had more spiritual gifts than any other church, not all of them had these gifts. And so the apostle gives great encouragement in that 31st verse. He says, I want you to covet earnestly the best gifts. Go ahead and desire to be a teacher because a teacher is a great gift. But there's something I want you to have more than that. And that is to love others. I want to show unto you a more excellent way of serving God. Truth is not the more excellent way of serving God, even though I preached that this morning, and it's very important. We are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. The devils do know the truth. They know the identity of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They even know their future better than this world does. But that is not enough. They do not know how to love. I want you to look at that 31st verse of 1 Corinthians 12 and see that in comparison to being an apostle, a prophet, or a teacher, loving other people is a more excellent way of serving God. And then he goes into the next three verses of chapter 13 to point out that even if you had the gifts of tongues at an unbelievable unimaginable level of being able to speak like an angel, if you didn't know how to love and treat other people, it's just like tinkling brass or a sounding cymbal. It's an irritating clang. So the noise of your mouth, though you might be speaking in some angelic language, which here is just an imagined thing for hyperbole to make a point, it would just be an irritating noise if you didn't know how to treat other people. So that's a gift that he has just dealt with in 28 through 31. And the more excellent way is treating other people well. Verse 2. What if there was a prophet that had the gift of prophecy and he understood all mysteries and knowledge and he had so much faith that he could remove mountains? If he didn't have love and charity, he's nothing. 
It doesn't matter. If you want to serve God in a more excellent way, it's to learn how to serve other people. It's to get off your high horse, get out of your comfort zone, give up your little tiny schedule, and schedule things around other people. Give up your preferences of what you want to do, and do what other people want to do. Because that's the spirit of charity and love. Verse 3 is hard for us to even imagine. What if you were to give all your goods to feed the poor? What if you wrote off everything you own to give it to the poor? What if you were to die the death of a martyr? And you know, we look at the martyrs and think of them dying at the stake when they were burned to death. And we think of that as, I wonder if I could do that. But what if you could? And what if you could give all your goods to feed the poor, but you didn't know how to treat other people? What does it profit you? Nothing. Though you died as a martyr for Jesus Christ, though you stood there and bravely took the flames as it suffocated the life out of you by depriving your lungs of oxygen while you were experiencing enormous pain, it would profit you nothing in the sight of God because when it came to overlooking the little things that we do to irritate each other, you couldn't do it. So, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest grace in your life. Love is the greatest measure of a child of God. Love is the greatest duty God has given us. The first commandment is to love the Lord our God. The second commandment is like it, and that's to love one another. The Bible tells us about Jesus that He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We want to grow in favor with God and men. Do you know the fastest route to that? To learn how to love. Get rid of your pride and love other people. Get rid of your selfishness and love other people. Get rid of looking out and taking care of number one and make yourself number three. God first, other second, and yourself third. This is the greatest. Love is the greatest. It is my job as your pastor to try to present you perfect to Jesus Christ. That's what Colossians 1.28 says. My goal is your perfection. And I know, because of the New Testament, that how I can perfect you the fastest and the farthest is to press you about growing in love more and more. There is no one that loves enough. We can always love more and more. And that's what the Apostle exhorts us to do. If my purpose is to perfect you, then putting on the bond of perfectness is something I need to help you do. Because that's how you're going to be perfected. And I thank the God of heaven that in reading the New Testament and knowing my heart and having watched the hearts of many people, I know that love is the hardest thing to learn and put into practice. Because we're all selfish. We've all got our habits. We've all got our little schedules. We've got our comfort zones. We've got our excuses. Well, I'm just not a people person. No, you're just lazy. No, you're just selfish. No, you're just proud. Don't tell us you're not a people person. God doesn't care whether you're a people person or not. There's, I can't find anywhere in here where it says, put on love as long as you're a people person. It just says, put on love. Amen. But we've got all our excuses. But the Lord wants us to step out of those and to serve Him. If you live your own little life, wrapped up in your little house, 
worrying about your little details, making sure you get your little nap, and that you eat your meals on your schedule, oh, I'd be wondering if your name's in the book of life if I were you. There's no evidence your name's in the book of life. I don't care how much doctrine you can shout and how many verses you've memorized. Because the devils can shout doctrine, and they did whenever they saw Jesus, and they know the Bible, Satan quoted it to him in Luke 4. If you're unwilling to lay down your selfish pursuits in 168 hours in a week and not do something for someone else, then you better, tr- you better examine yourself to see whether you're even in the faith and a child of God. Because a child of God is going to show the character of his father, and that's loving others. We want to do that. We want to do it. You know, the world talks about love. And I reminded my family last night at devotions about what the world thinks of love. They talk about that word, but they don't know what it means. You're in 1 Corinthians 13, and verses 4 through 7 is one sentence that defines love for us. And it is one wonderful definition of love. When Elton John sings about love, what does he mean? He means sodomy perversions with another man. Those of you that love the love songs of Elton John, why don't you go get yourself a picture of what Elton John does so that you can think about it a little more clearly. Elton John's a pervert. He doesn't know anything about love. He's never even got close to the subject of love. Everything he does with other people is an abomination. God hates it. It isn't love. And yet the world looks at him like the great artist that sings the love ballads. Whitney Houston sings a song entitled The Greatest Love of All. And we wish she was talking about the Lord. But she isn't. She's talking about the love of self. Can you believe that? That somebody would sing a song and call it the greatest love of all, and that's you loving yourself. They don't know anything about love. Love does not seek her own. Love seeks the welfare of others. What you have there in verses 4 through 7 are outstanding. Let's quickly run through those 15 phrases. You cannot forget them. Charity suffereth long. That means it puts up for a long time with others offending it, others hurting its feelings, others disappointing it. Love doesn't stop suffering. It keeps on suffering when other people do not measure up to its expectations. Love is kind, or charity is kind. They're synonyms in the New Testament. Love is kind. It's looking to be nice and to do gentle and benevolent and helpful helpful things for other people. Charity envieth not. It never gets jealous about the advantages that someone else might have. It never regrets that someone else has something better than they have. Charity loves that. If you really love someone, you're going to be excited that they've been blessed above you. Because God's been so kind to them. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't put itself forward or make itself important. If you love, you're going to make yourself small. You're not going to put yourself forward. You're going to take a back seat because you know that's where love would put you. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't have a high estimate of itself. Love does not think highly of itself. It thinks lowly of itself. That's why Paul said, put on all humbleness of mind. 
up here, not outwardly. To vaunt yourself is to do it in public where we can see it. To be puffed up is to do it on the inside where we may not be able to see it. But we're not to do that. Charity is not puffed up. Love does not have a high opinion of itself. It just wants to be a servant to other people. Verse 5. Verse, verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Love does not behave itself inappropriately. It always modifies behavior to meet the desires and expectations of others. It never does things the way it thinks ought to be acceptable, but the way others think is acceptable. And that means love requires you to be conventional. It doesn't matter if you've got some independent spirit that you want to be unconventional, or your parents were unconventional. God doesn't accept your unconvention. Because love doesn't behave itself unseemly. Love modifies behavior to match up with what is expected and desired by others. Love seeketh not her own. It doesn't want to play the game. All children should be thinking about this. It doesn't want to play the game it wants to play. You want to play the game someone else wants to play. Wow, wouldn't that be a change? But that's true love. You don't even think about what you want to do. What do these people want to do? I want to do that because that's what the Bible says. It's not easily provoked. It's so hard for you to get offended because you truly love other people. No matter, It doesn't matter that they offend you. It doesn't matter that they're wrong. It doesn't matter that they hurt you. You do not get offended very easily because you are suffering long. It's not easily provoked. It's almost impossible to push some of you to get upset, and that's because you are full of love. And it's wonderful, and it's what keeps a church together and makes it prosperous in the sight of God. Thinketh no evil. Love never puts a bad construction on the actions of others. It doesn't think evil. Even if you see something that looks questionable, it doesn't think evil about another person. It assumes the best. Right. It assumes the best. It doesn't think evil. This is love. Listen to me. Elton John's never come close to this. Whitney Houston doesn't even have a sniff of this. If we were to live by these 15 phrases of love, it would be paradise on earth. There would never be dissension. There would never be differences. There would never be contention. No strife. No bitterness. Peace. Happiness. Prosperity. And the blessing of God. Thinketh no evil. It, It never thinks that a person is doing something wrong that puts the best construction on it, even when it looks like they're doing something wrong, even when other people are telling you they're doing something wrong. It believes all things as we're about to see. Verse 6, it rejoices not in iniquity. If you love somebody, you're never happy when they're doing something bad and they get caught. Do you know that you have inside of you something that when someone else does something bad and gets caught, it gives you a little sense of pleasure Because all of a sudden you're better than them in the public eye because you haven't been caught doing what they got caught doing. And so you feel pretty good about yourself. But love never does that. Love doesn't rejoice in someone else's iniquity. Love is grieved that another person would sin and get caught. Love rejoices in the truth. We get excited when someone does something right and they get public praise because they're more righteous than we are. Thank you, Lord, for making so-and-so so righteous. I love the fact the way they walk in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. 
Verse 7, beareth all things. This is strange, isn't it? If you're bearing something, that means that's a load that you'd rather not have. Why is there all this emphasis in love on suffering, on not being provoked, on bearing all things? Because the real issue of loving someone else is being able to be to put up with their imperfections. You're never going to marry the perfect man. He's going to tell you he is, maybe. You're going to think he is, maybe, when he smiles at you. But you're never going to marry the perfect man. And all the women in here that are married, oh, they know that. They should be shouting amen. There is no perfect man. So you got to bear things. And you got to suffer a long time. Like, till the Lord takes you home. Because you're going to have to suffer. That's love. You know, love is not just romance. That's what the world wants to tell you. And that's why they all get disappointed in marriage, divorce one partner, grab another, because they're continually looking for the illusion of what they've described to themselves as real love. But it's not love. It's an illusion. It's a fantasy of their lusts. They can't stay happy with the same partner because they've got to go out and find another one. Then they get disappointed with that when they have to find a third one. But what you should do is bear all things. Believe all things. If someone tells you something, you believe it. Well, what if they're suspicious? Believe it. If you love them, you'll believe it. Well, the way they treated me today, how can I believe those words coming out of their mouth now? Believe it. If you love someone, you'll believe all things that they tell you. You say, well, what if I can't believe it? Then hope it. And I've told you this so many times. This is real love. This is so far above the rest of the world. This is truth about love. If you can't believe it, then hope it. Hope that it's true. When your husband tells you that he does care about you after he criticized three things after he got home from work, believe him. If you can't believe it because he was so hard, hope it. If your wife hasn't smiled at you in two days, believe all things. She's just had a couple of bad days, and inside her heart is bubbling with love for you. You say, I couldn't believe it. It's impossible. Then hope it. Then hope that she's got a bubbling heart for you while she hasn't smiled at you in two days. You know what? If we all did that toward each other, life would be pretty wonderful. But you know what? We don't. As soon as we have a moment without a smile or without the words that we're looking for to feed our egos or pleasure or whatever, we get upset with the person. And we start to withdraw. And the Lord says we're to do the opposite. And it gets to the end and it says, if you can't do all the above, endure all things. Now, I want to stress again, most of this is not positive. Most of the definition of love is not positive. It's negative in that things are being done to you and how are you reacting? I suffer long. I don't get provoked. I don't think evil, even though they're hurting me. I bear all things. I endure all things. I believe all things, even though their actions aren't backing it up. And I hope all things when I can't believe it, when their actions aren't backing them up. This is God's definition of love. And here it is right here. And it's how we get along with people. But listen, here's what I want you to get. 
This is the more excellent way of serving God. This is the fulfillment of 1231, where Paul said, Yet show I unto you a more excellent way. That in the sight of God is greater than being the Apostle Paul. Although Paul never measured up to verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul never spoke in tongues of angels. Paul never had all knowledge. And Paul didn't offer himself to be burned and give all his goods to feed the poor in the way of verse 3. If you can practice 4 through 7, you're greater than an apostle. Love is the greatest, brethren. Love is the bond of perfectness. And we want to love love itself. We want to be thankful for love. We want to rejoice in it. And we want to put it into practice in our lives. We are a doctrinal church. We are committed to sound doctrine. We, we will defend sound doctrine. We will preach sound doctrine. But let us be known as the most loving church among ourselves because Jesus Christ gave it as a commandment from the beginning and it is the greatest commandment and the greatest duty He's given us. Look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Let's just pound home that if you want to be great in the sight of God, if you want to prove that you are a child of God, that you're born again, that you're going to heaven, that you're great in God's sight, measure yourself by your love. How much do you get out of your routine to do things for others? How often do you have to give up something to do something for someone else? Do more of that. Because that's love. How often have you been hurt? Or do you only hang around with the people who flatter you all the time? Well, I don't hang around with those other people because they hurt my feelings. Those are the ones you're supposed to love. We had a brother read to us Matthew chapter 5. God sends His rain and His Son on the evil and the good. And if we're to look like the children of God, Matthew 5 said, we need to learn to love our enemies. Those are the ones we don't like being around. We choose to be around them and we choose to put up with what they do. James chapter 2 and verse 8, it puts it this way. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Do you want to do well as a Christian? How would you like a law that I found in the Bible called the royal law? This is a law fit for kings. Do you know what it is? Did we just find it? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's a royal law. It's the law of the king. It's a law for kings. And it's kingly conduct toward one another. Instead of being so selfish that you exact revenge by ignoring other people, by slighting them when you can, by holding on to differences and bitterness with them. Love gets rid of all that. It forbears everything. It puts up and overlooks what other people do to it. It's called the royal law. In fact, if we were to look at other verses, the apostles would teach us that the law thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself contains the whole law. All the laws wrapped up in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're never going to kill him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're never going to steal from him. You're never going to commit adultery with his wife. You're never going to bear false witness against him. Because you wouldn't want those things done to you. And so there we have the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which is true love, and it's the keeping of the whole law. 
You can take all that God said about how we relate to Him and then how we relate to others and sum it up in one little sentence. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You all know how to love yourselves. We come into the world loving ourselves and we want to learn to love others with that kind of intense care for their well-being. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3. The greatest men and women in the kingdom of God are the greatest are the great lovers. The greatest are the great lovers. They love one another. They serve, they share, they sacrifice, they're selfless. They hate any habits that they have that offend or irritate others. They modify conduct. They give up their time. They give up their goods. They give up their preferences in order to serve and give to others. They're givers, not takers. They're servants, not wanting to be served. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. What we are, what I want to pound home is love is the greatest way to serve the Lord. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You would think from most pulpits that all there is is faith. Believe, believe, believe. Make a decision for Jesus. But if you read the whole New Testament, you find out that the greatest is charity. Amen. The devils believe and tremble. But the devils don't love the way that we've just defined it. Here's how we can be perfect. Love is the greatest. Thank you, Lord, for giving us priorities. If you want to be great in the sight of God, the greatest that you can be, learn to love and serve others. 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 3.12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. How does the Lord get you established in your hearts in unblameable holiness for the coming of Jesus Christ? By increasing you in love. Did you see that long sentence? If you want to be perfectly ready for Jesus Christ coming and to be able to stand before Him, you get there by growing in love. Verse 12, the Lord make you. And we need His blessing to be able to do it because it is a fruit of the Spirit. And which fruit do you think it would be? Would it be the last one mentioned? Or the first one? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What do you think the last one is? Oh, here we go. Let's go through it. Love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. It's meekness at the other end. Love at this end. Love is what God wants from us. And it's first. It's greatest. It's greater. It's the more excellent way. It's the royal law. It's the only law. It's the only commandment. It's the greatest commandment. It's above and beyond all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's what the Lord wants from us. And here He said, the Lord, by His Spirit, can make you, if you will submit and seek this goal, to grow in love. To make you to increase and not just get a little better. 
You know, many of you, if I were to ask you, do you love more this year than you did last year? You might say, yes, I do. I've made an increase in love. But Paul wasn't content with just an increase. He wanted them to abound. That you would increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. And then he said, even as we do toward you. I'm not asking you to do something, Paul said. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done toward you. Because we love you and we are increasing and abounding in love for you. And if you read these epistles, you know that Paul did. And there's an end in that. It is love that establishes a person in holiness. Because when you can't put up with others and they start offending you, and you are so selfish that you can't sacrifice your time for others, then it leads to other sins. And pretty soon you are very blamable in the sight of God. And then Jesus Christ comes and we're in trouble. We've met Him and we're not prepared. We can't meet Him with confidence because we haven't been abounding in love like we should have. Chapter 4, same book. Chapter 4, verse 9. I find this almost amusing. But when the Lord does something, unless its intent is amusing, we shouldn't be amused. And the intent here is not amusing. The intent here is emphasis. We have chapter, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, then we come to chapter 4, and look at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. Well, I thought he already did. He did already write unto them. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. What, there, he's, what he is distinguishing there is the love that God puts in our heart in the new man. We have the ability to love. We have the capacity for love. We have the, the, the power for it from the Holy Spirit in our new man. But Paul wants that to burst forth into activity. I don't need to start from the beginning about love. You're taught of God to love. But here's what I want out of you, and it matches up with what was in chapter 3. It's right here in verse 11. In verse 10, I mean. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. I don't need to start from the basics about love because you've got it inside you. You know that it's the right thing to do, and you know you've got the power to do it, and you have inclinations in that direction, but I want to press you into activity that you would increase more and more because that makes you great in the sight of God. You know, brethren, I don't have time to preach lengthy sermons to you about selfishness. We should all understand that we are very selfish by nature. We all want to do things our way. We want other people to treat us the way we want to be treated. We expect everything to revolve around us in varying degrees at varying times. And the Lord wants us to get rid of all that because love does not have any selfish tendencies. Real love gets rid of self. It seeketh not her own. It is seeking the welfare of others. Paul gave his life in the pursuit of God's elect to help them and to serve them. He labored day and night in Thessalonica. And he wasn't chargeable to any of them that he could preach the gospel to these people. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to be ministered unto. He came to minister. Who was the last person you ministered to? 
you know, all these big churches in town, all the big churches in every town of America, do you know what they do when you walk in as a visitor? They hand you a card in which you can check off what ministry you want in their church. You ever seen one? When you're on vacation, go to one of these churches. I go to them because I want to see how pitiful the state of Christianity is in this country. They'll hand you a card. Do you want to run the light show while the praise band is up there? Do you want to serve the graham crackers and milk while the children are in junior church? You know, do you want to sweep the parking lot after the cars leave? They want to give you a ministry, and they call it a ministry, and they want to make you a minister, a minister of parking lots, a minister of youth, a minister of music. It doesn't matter. All these ministers are made up. There's not a one of them in the Bible by title and by name like that. But once they get somebody wrapped into the, into the club of being one of its ministers, then they've got them tied up there. God's given us a ministry. Because do you know what the word minister means? It's a servant. And the verb minister means to serve. And do you know how, who we're supposed to be ministering and serving? One another. We're to minister and to serve and to love everyone else in here. Let's be ministers. Let's all be ministers and love one another. Love is the greatest duty God's given us. It's the first commandment. It's how we look like God. It's the royal law. It includes all the other laws. It's the more excellent way of serving God. It is the greatest of faith, hope, and charity. Loving. As soon as I say amen this, this afternoon, you're going to have an opportunity. Well, I'm ready to go home. Well, you're a selfish pig. Who cares if you're ready to go home? Is there someone... I know I'm so harsh. I want to help all of us learn to love. If all your, see, whenever you use a sentence inside when you're thinking, I want to do this, I want to do that, well, I, I want to go home. Well, is there someone else there that you could serve before you go home? That makes all the difference in the world. You can go home after you've looked out someone else and done something for them. And that doesn't mean making yourself available so that they can come to you and ask you questions about your life. Some of you are so good about telling us all about yourself. Why don't you show us your skill at asking someone else about their life? Why don't you start planning what you're going to do the rest of this day, not for yourself, but for someone else? Some of you have your minds in full gear about what you're going to do between the hours of 2 o'clock and 10 o'clock when you go to bed. Now, that's eight hours. That's too many hours for any person. Instead of thinking about what I'm going to do during those eight hours, why don't you think of what you're going to do for someone else? What could someone else use from me during those hours? You know, we love a good work ethic in our church. But do you know what a servant's doing if he has a good work ethic? He's always thinking, what could my master want right now? What needs to be done that I should get to right now before I ask to do it? And we should be thinking that about other people. Whenever those thoughts go through your mind, well, I don't like this. Stop that. Slap yourself. Why did you say that? Who cares whether you like it? Get in and be be a cheerful participant for the sake of those that do like it. He hurt me. Don't say that. I'm going to love that person. Ignore what they did to you. 
Self-preservation. That's what you call it. i got to protect myself. If I don't protect myself a little bit, people will make a doorman out of me. I'm thankful that my Lord Jesus Christ did not call 12 legions of angels from heaven to protect Him when He had an angry mob coming to treat Him like a dog when He was totally innocent. He laid down His life for me when He was perfectly innocent and He did not practice any self-preservation at all. He didn't even threaten or revile. He didn't even use His words. He went as a lamb to the slaughter and that is the example we're to have when we serve others. Praise God if you could be a doormat for other people. Bless the Lord of heaven. He'll exalt you in due time. He'll lift you to the highest pinnacles in heaven that He allows saints to hold if you'll be a doormat for the people of God. And you'll have the greatest pleasure in doing it. While your haughty brethren step on you and clean their feet on you, and you're following my metaphor, I hope, while your haughty brethren are stepping on you, they're going to be unhappy Because they're not giving, and you're giving because you're the doormat, because my Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed. The Lord is just constantly lifting up love, which is giving. In all of our dealings with everyone, let's love. It's the greatest measure of a child of God. The greatest proof of eternal life. The fastest route to growing in favor with God and men. We wouldn't love at all if it weren't for the grace of God. Right. You know, look at, you're not very far away. Turn to the right a few pages to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and read what Paul has to say about himself. Love is the greatest duty. That's what I just taught you. Love is the greatest duty. It's the first commandment. The only commandment. The all-inclusive commandment. The royal law. I like the royal law. That gets me excited. I'd like to think of myself as a king. So would you. And do you know how we think of ourselves as a king? We treat others in a noble spirit of a king. A real king. Not an overbearing king, but a king who loves to take care of his subjects. And if you've got to think about yourself that way, then, oh, that's pitiful though, because it's not puffed up. Charity is not puffed up, but it's a royal law. It's what our king did for us. And we ought to do that for others. Do you know how often the Lord overlooks my offenses? Do you know how often He forgives me? Do you know what He puts up with? Do you know the imperfection that He just winks at and loves me anyway and treats me well and blesses me? Right. I better show that to others. The Bible's very plain. If I from my heart do not forgive my brothers their trespasses against me, if from my heart I do not forgive my brothers their trespasses against me, Neither will my Father which is in heaven forgive me my trespasses against Him. That is Matthew 18.35. Titus 3. Love is the greatest grace. Paul said in verse 3, For we ourselves also... Paul and Titus? An apostle and a preacher? For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, Deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what we are by nature. Paul admits it about himself and Titus. And Titus didn't send this letter back and say, that might have been true about you, but it's not true about me. 
Paul and Titus both knew it, that they lived in malice and envy. They had malicious thoughts. They couldn't stand other people that hurt them, that offended them. We were hateful and hating one another. That's what Paul said about himself. And that's what I say to you when I say that we're selfish by nature. But after that, the love and kindness of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. But then God showed us a degree of kindness, love, and affection that we had never known by anyone else in the universe. And that ought to change our lives forever. It does change our lives legally and vitally, but it ought to change our lives practically. It's the greatest grace. By nature, this morning, by nature we're the followers of the devil. We we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now this morning the point was, well, if we're following the devil, and the devil's a liar and the father of it, then we all love lies. But what else is he? A murderer. He's a murderer. So there we are following the devil. So we get murderous thoughts when someone offends us. We get angry. And we shouldn't. We should not be easily provoked. Ye are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. There's no truth in him. So see, we were followers of the devil and by nature we hated truth and loved lies. We hated loving and loved hating. Hating was part of our nature. But God has saved us from that. Look at 1 John chapter 3 that our brother read to us. What precious words. Can you, could you want any language plainer? By nature, we were followers of the devil and were selfish. Look what it says here. Verse 11. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Jesus founded His ministry and His religion on loving one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. He got angry because Abel did something righteous and God accepted that righteous work of Abel's. So Cain got angry and killed him. Cain was envious because Abel was righteous. Cain was not rejoicing in the truth. It killed Cain to have Abel being approved by God. We ought to rejoice. Look at the nature that we have. We're just like Cain, but for the grace of God. You know, we look at Saul of Tarsus. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter by nature. But then the Lord saved him. And was there ever a more compassionate apostle than Apostle Paul? And the way he served churches and did everything he could for them. Love is the greatest grace. When we think about faith, faith is not the greatest grace. Because faith by itself is nothing. Faith without works is dead. It's just alone. It's empty. It's vanity. The devils believe and tremble. If we believe the truth, that is not strong evidence that you're a child of God. The devils believe the truth. And that's why James chapter 2 was written to push us past just believing the truth 
to putting the truth into practice. And the great way we put the truth into practice is to love. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Love is the greatest grace. When God can take a picky person, a selfish person, a person that gets angry quickly, a person that loves to find faults, a person that loves to hold on to differences, and then make them a loving, forgiving, forbearing, gentle, kind soul, it is a marvelous work of grace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this is what we want. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. See, faith without works is dead. So the apostle is commending their work of faith. They believed the gospel, but they were doing things with that belief. And then he said, your labor of love. They weren't just talking about love. They were laboring with love. Their love was resulting in labor toward one another, in helping one another, and patience of hope. Their hope was not just singing about heaven in the assemblies, but helping them to endure afflictions and persecutions in light of heaven. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. You can know that a person is God's elect by the way he treats other people. If he's got a short fuse, if there's constantly something coming up that irritates her or him, if they're hard to get along with consistently, if they're harsh, if they're short, if they're selfish, if they're lazy, there's no evidence of eternal life. We want to hate all those things. We want to put on gentleness, meekness, humbleness of mind, kindness, forgiving one another and forbearing one another and put on the bond of perfectness, which is charity. It's time to say amen. And as soon as I say it, you're all going to choose a path for the rest of today. And your paths will vary. Some of you are great in the sight of God. And you will choose a path of who can I serve, who can I help, and what can I do for someone else. And you'll go do it. I encourage you to do it. And do you know what Paul would say to you that already do it? He would pray that you would increase and abound in it more and more. Don't be content. Let's press forward. Those of you that are already thinking, I can't wait for this service to end so that I can get back to the things I want to do, God help you. I don't know what in the world's wrong with your soul. You're sick, and that's why you're so unhappy. The people that do that are always the least happy because they're so wrapped up in themselves and, lo- and the world never measures up to their expectations for themselves. If you get out of yourself and serve others, you can make, you can create happiness today Amen. by giving and serving another pe- person. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's hard to be harsh while preaching about love. But love is a commandment. Love is a duty. And I want to press you to do it. Because I want this church to be perfect in the sight of God. 
And we're only going to get there by growing in this grace and keeping this commandment that was given to us from the beginning, that you love one another. Jesus made it so plain when he said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And we're able to look through our own assembly and know who are the greatest disciples in the service of Jesus Christ. By the love ye have one to another. You've got nine hours left in a day that the Lord's given us. Are you going to share some of that time and serve others with it? May the Lord bless all of us to do that and together to grow up to a perfect man to the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.